0: number five of cottage economy by william cobbett this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by philippa paragraphs one hundred and twenty nine to one hundred and thirty eight keeping cows continued i have now in the conclusion of this article to speak of the manner of harvesting and preserving the swedes of the place to keep the cow in of the manure for the land and of the quantity of labour that the cultivation of the land and the harvesting of the crop will require. Harvesting and preserving the Swedes. When they are ready to take up, the tops must be cut off, if not cut off before, and also the roots. But neither tops nor roots should be cut off very close. You will have room for ten bushels of the bulbs in the house or shed. Put the rest into ten-bushel heaps. Make the heap upon the ground in a round form, and let it rise up to a point. Lay over it a little litter, straw, or dead grass, about three inches thick, and then earth upon that, about six inches thick. Then cut a thin round green turf, about eighteen inches over, and put it upon the crown of the heap, to prevent the earth from being washed off. Thus these heaps will remain till wanted for use. When given to the cow, it will be best to wash the swedes and cut each into two or three pieces with a spade or some other tool. You can take in ten bushels at a time. If you find them sprouting in the spring, open the remaining heaps, and expose them to the sun and wind, and cover them again slightly with straw or litter of some sort. Footnote. Be sure now, before you go any further, to go to the end of the book, and there read about Manglewurzel be sure to do this and there read also about cobbett's corn be sure to do this before you go any further End of footnote. as to the place to keep the cow in much will depend upon situation and circumstances i am always supposing that the cottage is a real cottage and not a house in a town or village street though wherever there is the quarter of an acre of ground the cow may be kept let me however suppose that which will generally happen namely that the cottage stands by the side of a road or lane and amongst fields and woods if not on the side of a common to pretend to tell a country labourer how to build a shed for a cow how to stick it up against the end of his house or to make it an independent erection or to dwell on the materials where poles, rods, wattles, rushes, furs, heath, and cooper chips are all to be gotten by him for nothing or next to nothing, would be useless, because a man who thus situated can be at any loss for a shed for his cow, is not only unfit to keep a cow, but unfit to keep a cat. The warmer the shed, the better it is. The floor should slope, but not too much there are stones of some sort or other everywhere and about six wheelbarrowfuls will pave the shed a thing to be by no means neglected a broad trough or box fixed up at the head of the cow is the thing to give her food in and she should be fed three times a day at least always at daylight and at sunset it is not absolutely necessary that a cow ever quit her shed except just at calving time or when taken to the bull in the former case the time is nine times out of ten known to within forty-eight hours any enclosed field or place will do for her during a day or two and for such purpose if there be not room at home no man will refuse place for her in a fallow field it will however be good where there is no common to turn her out upon to have her led by a string two or three times a week which may be done by a child only five years old to graze or pick along the sides of roads and lanes where there is a common she will of course be turned out in the daytime except in very wet or severe weather and in a case like this a smaller quantity of ground will suffice for the keeping of her According to the present practice, a miserable tallet of bad hay is in such cases the winter provision for the cow. It can scarcely be called food, and the consequence is, the cow is both dry and lousy nearly half the year, instead of being dry only about fifteen days before calving, and being sleek and lusty at the end of the winter, to which a warm lodging greatly contributes. For observe, if you keep a cow, any time between September and June, out in a field or yard, to endure the chances of the weather, she will not, though she have food precisely the same in quantity and quality, yield above two-thirds as much as if she were lodged in-house, and in wet weather she will not yield half so much. It is not so much the cold as the wet that is injurious to all our stock in England. THE MANURE at the beginning this must be provided by collections made on the road by the results of the residence in a cottage let any man clean out every place about his dwelling rake and scrape and sweep all into a heap and he will find that he has a great deal earth of almost any sort that has long lain on the surface and has been trodden on is a species of manure every act that tends to neatness round a dwelling tends to the creating of a mass of manure and i have very seldom seen a cottage with a plat of ground of a quarter of an acre belonging to it round about which i could not have collected a very large heap of manure Everything of animal or vegetable substance that comes into a house must go out of it again in one shape or another the very emptying of vessels of various kinds on a heap of common earth makes it a heap of the best of manure thus goes on the work of reproduction and thus is verified the words of the scripture flesh is grass and there is nothing new under the sun thus far as to the outset when you have got the cow there is no more care about manure for and especially if you have a pig also you must have enough annually for an acre of ground and let it be observed that after a time it will be unnecessary and would be injurious to manure for every crop for that would produce more stalk and green than substantial part as it is well known that wheat plants standing in ground too full of manure will yield very thick and long straws but grains of little or no substance you ought to depend more on the spade and the hoe than on the dung-heap Nevertheless, the greatest care should be taken to preserve the manure, because you will want straw, unless you be by the side of a common which gives you rushes, grassy firs, or fern, and to get straw you must give a part of your dung from the cow-stall and pigsty. The best way to preserve manure is to have a pit of sufficient dimensions close behind the cow-shed and pigsty, for the run from these to go into, and from which all runs of rain-water should be kept. Into this pit would go the emptying of the shed and of the sty, and the produce of all sweepings and cleanings round the house, and thus a large mass of manure would soon grow together, much too large a quantity for a quarter of an acre of ground. One good load of wheat or rye straw is all that you would want for the winter, and half of one for the summer, and you would have more than enough dung to exchange against this straw." now as to the quantity of labour that the cultivation of the land will demand in a year. We will suppose the whole to have five complete diggings, and say nothing about the little matters of sowing and planting and hoeing and harvesting, all of which are a mere trifle. We are supposing the owner to be an able labouring man, and such a man will dig twelve rods of ground in a day. Here are two hundred rods to be digged and here are little less than seventeen days of work at twelve hours in the day, or two hundred hours' work, to be done in the course of the long days of spring and summer, when it is light long before six in the morning, and long after six at night. What is it, then? Is it not better than time spent in the alehouse or in creeping about after a miserable hare? Frequently—and most frequently—there will be a boy, if not two, big enough to help and i only give this as a hint i saw on the seventh of november last eighteen eighty two a very pretty woman in the village of hannington in wiltshire digging a piece of ground and planting it with early cabbages which she did as handily and as neatly as any gardener that ever i saw the ground was wet and therefore to avoid treading the digged ground in that state she had a line extended and put in the rose as she advanced in her digging standing in the trench while she performed the act of planting which she did with great nimbleness and precision nothing could be more skilfully or beautifully done her clothes were neat clean and tight about her she had turned her handkerchief down from her neck which with the glow that the work had brought into her cheeks formed an object which i do not say would have made me actually stop my chaise had it not been for the occupation in which she was engaged, but all taken together, the temptation was too strong to be resisted. But there is the Sunday, and I know of no law, human or divine, that forbids a labouring man to dig or plant his garden on Sunday, if the good of his family demand it, and if he cannot, without injury to that family, find another time to do it in. Shepherds, carters, pig feeders, drovers, coachmen, cooks, footmen, printers, and numerous others work on the Sundays. Theirs are deemed by the law works of necessity. Harvesting and haymaking are allowed to be carried on on the Sunday in certain cases, when they are always carried on by provident farmers. And I should be glad to know the case which is more a case of necessity than that now under our view, in fact the labouring people do work on the sunday morning in particular all over the country at something or other or they are engaged in pursuits a good deal less religious than that of digging and planting so that as to the two hundred hours they are easily found without the loss of any of the time required for constant daily labour and what a produce is that of a cow i suppose only an average of five quarts of milk a day if made into butter it will be equal every week to two days of the man's wages besides the value of the skim milk and this can hardly be of less value than another day's wages what a thing then is this cow if she earn half as much as the man i am greatly underrating her produce but i wish to put all the advantages at the lowest to be sure there is work for the wife or daughter to milk and make butter but the former is done at the two ends of the day, and the latter only about once in the week. And whatever these may subtract from the labours of the field, which all country women ought to be engaged in whenever they conveniently can, whatever the cares created by the cow may subtract from these, is amply compensated for by the education that these cares will give to the children. They will all learn to milk, and the girls to make butter. Footnote to me, the following has happened within the last year. A young man in the country had agreed to be my servant, but it was found that he could not milk, and the bargain was set aside. About a month afterwards, a young man who said he was a farmer's son, and who came from Herefordshire, offered himself to me at Kensington. Can you milk? He could not, but would learn. I, but in the learning he might dry up my cows what a shame to the parents of these young men both of them were in want of employment the latter had come more than a hundred miles in search of work and here he was left to hunger still and to be exposed to all sorts of ills because he could not milk and which is a thing of the very first importance they will all learn from their infancy to set a just value upon dumb animals and will grow up in the habit of treating them with gentleness, and feeding them with care. To those who have not been brought up in the midst of rural affairs, it is hardly possible to give an adequate idea of the importance of this part of education. I should be very loath to entrust the care of my horses, cattle, sheep, or pigs to any one whose father never had a cow or pig of his own. It is a general complaint that servants, and especially farm servants, are not so good as they used to be. How should they? They were formerly the sons and daughters of small farmers. They are now the progeny of miserable, propertyless labourers. They have never seen an animal in which they had any interest. They are careless by habit. This monstrous evil has arisen from causes which I have a thousand times described, and which causes must now be speedily removed, or they will produce a dissolution of society, and give us a beginning afresh. The circumstances vary so much that it is impossible to lay down precise rules suited to all cases. The cottage may be on the side of a forest or common, it may be on the side of a lane or of a great road, distant from town or village, it may be on the skirts of one of these latter, and then again the family may be few or great in number the children small or big according to all which circumstances the extent and application of the cow food and also the application of the produce will naturally be regulated under some circumstances half the above crop may be enough especially where good commons are at hand sometimes it may be the best way to sell the calf as soon as carved at others to fat it and at others if you cannot sell it which sometimes happens to knock it on the head as soon as calved for where there is a family of small children the price of a calf of two months old cannot be equal to the half of the value of the two months milk it is pure weakness to call it a pity it is a much greater pity to see hungry children crying for the milk that a calf is sucking to no useful purpose and as to the cow and the calf the one must lose her young and the other its life after all and the respite only makes an addition to the sufferings of both as to the pretended unwholesomeness of milk in certain cases as to its not being adapted to some constitutions i do not believe one word of the matter when we talk of the fruits indeed which were formerly the chief food of a great part of mankind We should recollect that those fruits grew in countries that had a sun to ripen the fruits, and to put nutritious matter into them. But as to milk, England yields to no country upon the face of the earth. Neat cattle will touch nothing that is not wholesome in its nature, nothing that is not wholly innoxious. Out of a pail that has ever had grease in it they will not drink a drop, though they be raging with thirst. Their very breath is fragrance. And how, then, is it possible that unwholesomeness should distil from the udder of a cow? The milk varies, indeed, in its quality and taste, according to the variations in the nature of the food, but no food will a cow touch that is any way hostile to health. Feed young puppies upon milk from the cow, and they will never die with that ravaging disease called the distemper in short to suppose that milk contains anything essentially unwholesome is monstrous when indeed the appetite becomes vitiated when the organs have been long accustomed to food of a more stimulating nature when it has been resolved to eat ragouts at dinner and drink wine and swallow a devil and a glass of strong grog at night then milk for breakfast may be heavy and disgusting and the feeder may stand in need of tea or laudanum, which differ only as to degrees of strength. But, and I speak from the most ample experience, milk is not heavy, and much less is it unwholesome, when he who uses it rises early, never swallows strong drink, and never stuffs himself with flesh of any kind. Many and many a day I scarcely taste of meat, and then chiefly at breakfast, and that too at an early hour. Milk is the natural food of young people. If it be too rich, skim it again and again till it be not too rich. This is an evil easily cured. If you have now to begin with the family of children, they may not like it at first, but persevere, and the parent who does not do this, having the means in his hands, shamefully neglects his duty. A son who prefers a devil and a glass of grog to a hunch of bread and a bowl of cold milk I regard as a pest, and for this pest the father has to thank himself. Before I dismiss this article, let me offer an observation or two to those persons who live in the vicinity of towns, or in towns, and who, though they have large gardens, have no land to keep a cow, a circumstance which they exceedingly regret. I have, I dare say, witnessed this case at least a thousand times. Now, how much garden ground does it require to supply even a large family with garden vegetables? The market gardeners round the metropolis of this wen headed country, round this wen of all wens, editor's footnote, London, round this prodigious and monstrous collection of human beings, These market gardeners have about three hundred thousand families to supply with vegetables, and these they supply well, too, and with summer fruits into the bargain. Now if it demanded ten rods to a family, the whole would demand, all but a fraction, nineteen thousand acres of garden ground. We have only to cast our eyes over what there is to know that there is not a fourth of that quantity. A square mile contains, leaving out parts of a hundred, seven hundred acres of land, and nineteen thousand acres occupy more than twenty-two square miles. Are there twenty-two square miles covered with the Wens Market Gardens? The very question is absurd the whole of the market gardens from brompton to hammersmith extending to battersea rise on the one side and to the bayswater road on the other side and leaving out roads lanes nurseries pastures cornfields and pleasure grounds do not in my opinion cover one square mile to the north and south of the wen there is very little in the way of market garden and if on both sides of the thames to the eastward of the wen there be three square miles actually covered with market-gardens that is the full extent how then could the wen be supplied if it required ten rods to each family to be sure potatoes carrots and turnips and especially the first of these are brought for the use of the wen from a great distance in many cases but so they are for the use of the persons i am speaking of for a gentleman thinks no more of raising a large quantity of these things in his garden than he thinks of raising wheat there how is it then that it requires half an acre or eighty rods in a private garden to supply a family while these market gardeners supply all these families and so amply too from ten or more likely five rods of ground to a family I have shown in the last number that nearly fifteen tonnes of vegetables can be raised in a year upon forty rods of ground—that is to say, ten loads for a wagon and four good horses. And is not a fourth or even an eighth part of this weight sufficient to go down the throats of a family in a year? Nay, allow that only a tonne goes to a family in a year. It is more than six-pound weight a day and what sort of a family must that be that really swallows six pounds weight a day and this a market gardener will raise for them upon less than three rods of ground for he will raise in the course of the year even more than fifteen tons upon forty rods of ground what is it then that they do with the eighty rods of ground in a private garden why in the first place they have one crop where they ought to have three then they do not half till the ground then they grow things that are not wanted plant cabbages and other things let them stand till they be good for nothing and then wheel them to the rubbish heap raise as many radishes lettuces and as much endive and as many kidney beans as would serve for ten families and finally throw nine-tenths of them away i once saw not less than three rods of ground in a garden of this sort with lettuces all bearing seed seed enough for half a county they cut a cabbage here and a cabbage there and so let the whole of the piece of ground remain undug till the last cabbage be cut but after all the produce even in this way is so great that it could never be gotten rid of if the main part were not thrown away the rubbish heap always receives four-fifths even of the eatable part of the produce it is not thus that the market-gardeners proceed their rubbish heap consists of little besides mere cabbage-stumps no sooner is one crop on the ground than they settle in their minds what is to follow it they clear as they go in taking off a crop and as they clear they dig and plant the ground is never without seed in it or plants on it and thus in the course of the year they raise a prodigious bulk of vegetables from eighty rods of ground such vigilance and industry are not to be expected in a servant for it is foolish to expect that a man will exert himself for another as much as he will for himself. But if I was situated as one of the persons is that I have spoken of in paragraph 137, that is to say, if I had a garden of eighty rods, or even of sixty rods of ground, I would out of that garden draw a sufficiency of vegetables for my family, and would make it yield enough for a cow besides. I should go a short way to work with my gardener, I should put cottage economy into his hands, and tell him that if he could furnish me with vegetables, and my cow with food, he was my man, and that if he could not, I must get one that could and would. I am not for making a man toil like a slave, but what would become of the world if a well-fed, healthy man could exhaust himself in tilling and cropping and clearing half an acre of ground? I have known many men dig thirty rods of garden ground in a day. I have before I was fourteen digged twenty rods in a day, for more than ten days successively, and I have heard and believe the fact of a man at Portsea who digged forty rods in one single day between daylight and dark, so that it is no slavish toil that I am here recommending. Paragraphs 139–142 to Keeping Pigs next after the cow comes the pig and in many cases where a cow cannot be kept a pig or pigs may be kept but these are animals not to be ventured on without due consideration as to the means of feeding them for a starved pig is a great deal worse than none at all you cannot make bacon as you can milk merely out of the garden there must be something more A couple of flitches of bacon are worth fifty thousand Methodist sermons and religious tracts. The sight of them upon the rack tends more to keep a man from poaching and stealing than whole volumes of penal statutes, though assisted by the terrors of the hulks and the gibbet. They are great softeners of the temper, and promoters of domestic harmony. They are a great blessing, but they are not to be had from herbage or roots of any kind and therefore before a pig be attempted the means ought to be considered breeding sows are great favourites with cottages in general but i have seldom known them to answer their purpose where there is an outlet the sow will indeed keep herself by grazing in summer with a little wash to help her out and when her pigs come they are many in number but they are a heavy expense the sow must live as well as a fatting hog or the pigs will be good for little. It is a great mistake, too, to suppose that the condition of the sow previous to pigging is of no consequence, and indeed some suppose that she ought to be rather bare of flesh at the pigging time. Never was a greater mistake, for if she be in this state she presently becomes a mere rack of bones, and then, do what you will, the pigs will be poor things however fat she may be before she farrowed the pigs will make her lean in a week all her fat goes away in her milk and unless the pigs have a store to draw upon they pull her down directly and by the time they are three weeks old they are starving for want and then they never come to good now a cottager's sow cannot without great expense be kept in a way to enable her to meet the demands of her farrow she may look pretty well but the flesh she has upon her is not of the same nature as that which the farmyard sow carries about her it is the result of grass and of poor grass too or other weak food and not made partly out of corn and whey and strong wash as in the case of the farmer's sow no food short of that of a fatting hog will enable her to keep her pigs alive and this she must have for ten weeks and that at a great expense then comes the operation upon the principle of parson malthus in order to check population and there is some risk here though not very great but there is the weaning and who that knows anything about the matter will think lightly of the weaning of a farrow of pigs by having nice food given them they seem for a few days not to miss their mother but their appearance soon shows the want of her nothing but the very best food and that given in the most judicious manner will keep them up to anything like good condition and indeed there is nothing short of milk that will affect the thing well how should it be otherwise the very richest cow's milk is poor compared with that of the sow and to be taken from this and put upon food one ingredient of which is water is quite sufficient to reduce the poor little things to bare bones and staring hair A state to which cottagers pigs very soon come in general and at last he frequently drives them to market and sells them for less than the cost of the food which they and the sow have devoured since they were farrowed it was doubtless pigs of this description that were sold the other day at newbury market for fifteen pence apiece and which were i dare say dear even as a gift to get such a pig to begin to grow will require three months and with good feeding too in winter time to be sure it does come to be a hog at last but do what you can it is a dear hog the cottager then can hold no competition with the farmer in the breeding of pigs to do which with advantage there must be milk and milk too that can be advantageously applied to no other use the cottager's pig must be bought ready weaned to his hand and indeed at four months old, at which age, if he be in good condition, he will eat anything that an old hog will eat. He will graze, eat cabbage-leaves, and almost the stumps. Swedish turnip-tops or roots and such things with a little wash will keep him along in very good growing order. I have now to speak of the time of purchasing, the manner of keeping, of fatting, killing and curing, but these I must reserve till my next number. End of number five.